blood, sweat, and tears, I done put a lot in. You at the top, I'ma need the top spot then. Pass the rock, half court shots, popping Bambino at the plate, I'ma have to call my shot then. Breaking news, any league that you watching, pop culture, Mr. Green got them flocking. Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then. Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then. Welcome back to another episode of the Stir the Pop podcast. I appreciate everyone that's tuned in for episode four. I know the wait between episode three and episode four was a little over a week, which is something I'm looking to change. But through this past week, I've just been really busy with school trying to end the semester. And I'm pretty much done with the semester. I've only got one more test this upcoming Monday. And that's about it. So I'm excited to finish off this semester and graduate. And I'm really excited to be able to put more time into this podcast. I've really been thinking about different ways to maybe try to change some things up or just where areas I can improve upon. I'm thinking about like if I just have an interview that's really good and it may be long, I may just drop the interview as an episode all by itself. I mean, ideally, I would like to have episodes that last like 45 to 55 minutes. I don't really want to go over an hour. And sometimes that's hard because some of these interviews that I've been doing, they go about 20 to 25 minutes and they're full of great stuff. And I just don't want to cut any of it out. There's just so much stuff in there that I think is important. And I want for you guys to hear. And who am I to say that that part of the interview should be cut out? Because I don't think it's noteworthy when you guys may really want to hear it and may really enjoy it. So I'm just I'm just trying to change things up and see see where I can improve. It's just it's a growing process for me and I want to I want to perfect my craft and that's what I'm really excited about. I'm going to be able to put a lot more time into this. I'm really going to try to start doing two to maybe three episodes a week, but we'll see. I don't want to put anything in stone that I can't deliver. But I'm excited for episode four. I got two really good interviews for you guys to hear. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I don't want to prolong this process any further. Let's get to it. Blood, sweat, and tears. I done put a lot in. You at the top. I'm going to need the top spot then. Pass the rock. Half court shots. Popping Bambino at the plate. I'm going to have to call my shot then. Breaking news. Any league that you watching. Pop culture. Mr. Green got them flocking. Start a fight. Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then. Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then. We are now lucky enough to be joined on the show by Reginald Rembert Jr. Reggie played four years of football at the Air Force Academy from 2007 to 2010. Reggie is a defensive back, and in 2009, he was a first team all conference selection for the Mountain West, and in 2010, He was selected as an All-American. Reggie, I just want to personally thank you for coming on the show. I'm extremely lucky to have you on, and I can't wait to hear about your story, and I can't wait for all the listeners to hear about your story. So once again, Reggie, thanks for coming on, man, and how's it going? How you doing? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing right now in this COVID-19 time? How are you and your family handling this? Uh, We're handling it pretty good because nothing in my life has changed. Like, right now, I'm driving, so I'm out, you know, still working, still grinding. I work for myself, so I, I, I can't really afford to stop doing stuff. And the only thing that's really kind of been hindering me is weather. So I've been kind of out and about, 
since it all started and haven't really been inside much. It's changed a little bit because my dog, I have two kids and uh, my wife and kids have been staying home. So I've taken my, one of my daughters out of daycare or monetary school. But yeah, so other than that, it's <laughs> business as usual. Well, that's good. I'm glad you guys are staying safe and everything's, you know, almost pretty much normal. But I had you on the show today because you used to play uh, college football at Air Force. And I think you have a really cool story from talking to our friend Matt Fields. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about that. But before there, I want to just get back to where it all started. When did you start playing football? And if you could just talk a little bit about your childhood growing up. All right. So uh, I'm an only child. I started playing football when I was five years old. So I played flag football in LFA. So Kyler Murray. He played in LFA too. So he's, he's a lot younger than I am, but uh, there's a lot of pretty good football players that have come out of the Louisville Football Association. Uh, so my first football year, I was five years old. It was flag football, and my mom, I was a smaller guy, so my mom never was in support of me playing football. So she went out of town for business one year, and my dad signed me up for football. So that's okay. kind of how I got into football, because she never wanted me to play football in the first place, because she thought it would be dangerous, I was too small, all that. So ended up uh, playing flag football. Five and six was flag football. Seven and eight was tackle was when tackle started. So my first year played off five, played really well. And then I had uh, a blood clot in my leg called a hemangioma. And I had to have surgery because I couldn't walk. So I had to, so I sat out that age of six. I didn't play when I was six. And then my next year back, I was seven. And that was my first tackle season, I guess you'd say. Okay. So I go, I, I played football for a long time. And I just kind of fell in love with football growing up. Except for me, my mom would have done anything she could to, to not have me play. And, you know, even playing in college, she cringe every game. But now she's a football fan. She hated football, you know, but now she'll watch, she'll watch football. Even if I'm not playing, she'll watch just, you know, just watch Cowboys or some random football game because she actually enjoys football now. <laughs> That's funny. So how did she feel when she found out that you wanted to go play football at the Air Force. So by that time, I had already been in it for a while, you know, so she had, she cringed every time I played at, uh, in high school, but she kind of accepted the fact that I was, I was going to play football. It was kind of my decision. I was going to play football because it was a love of mine. So she was supportive, but kind of apprehensive because she just didn't want her only baby hurt. And then, you know, me with all the big guys, she probably saw that it was probably a little bit more likely <laughs> seeing my size that I could potentially get hurt. But, you know, that and then the military commitment, uh, going to war and stuff like that was kind of in the back of our minds too. But, you know, with talking to the recruiter and everything, you know, that kind of got set at ease because, you know, in reality, you know, just because you went to the Air Force Academy doesn't mean you're going to be in the front lines of war. Like my entire military career was on the business side of the Air Force. So I stayed stayed stateside, didn't deploy any, didn't deploy really anywhere. Um, so I was kind of safe in my military career. Um, and I, and I, you know, kind of digging a little deeper, I didn't want to go to Air Force Academy. I was like, I was going to say, how did you, how did you decide yeah. upon choosing that? Or how did that come about? Basically, it was my only option. So, you know, I'm an undersized cat. Um, I was all state 5A Texas high school football. I was Big all time. state. I was, uh, I led the state of Texas my senior year at interception. Texas 5A, the highest level nice of football. It goes. Um, and then I had OU, Texas, A&M, Alabama. Like, I had all the big schools really interested, but then they come to watch me practice, and they're like, ah, we didn't know you were that small. So 
and I played well, but my my size wasn't very appealing to most colleges. So the only team that really gave me a shot out of high school was the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy, um, which is ironic because after I went there, I went to the preparatory school, um, and I ended up pulling three or four offers from the prep school because you're still a recruitable athlete. Okay. And you don't lose your and you don't you don't lose your eligibility. So I still had all my eligibility, but I played kind of a registered year. And those kids, they were they were dudes. They just didn't have the grades to go to the big schools yet. I was last chance you. That's yeah. the Jayhawk conference. So we were playing those cats. Okay. So um, so we had a great competition. I balled out there. Had a bunch of big sixes, everything. And there was rumors that I was gonna play and get a lot of playing time as a freshman. Um, you know, but at that time I was kind of over the military. I was, you know, it wasn't for me. I had other offers. I think I was on what they call restriction was, which was, I couldn't leave base. So I was like, you know what? I'm leaving. So then the head coach called me in his office and was like, you know, if you leave, you're going to start over. We already know you here. You know, you, if you stay here, you'll probably play as a freshman and stuff like that. Plus you got to think about life after football. But, you know, a 17-year-old kid or however old you are, you're not really thinking about exactly life after football. You know, I just want to play football, you know. So, that's kind of how that all happened. So, when you were deciding, or I guess like you said, it was really your only option, did that kind of push the thought of the NFL out of your brain? Or how did you cope with that? Or was that even something that you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, ever since I was five years old, it was kind of like, you know, the NFL's a dream. I think anybody would be lying if they said that they didn't have any aspirations playing professionally in any sport that they've kind of taken hold of. So, you know, for me, ever since I was five, I had the dream of playing in the NFL. That being said, when I went to the Air Force Academy, I knew it would be difficult because they had that rule in place where you had to serve two years, and then from there you could go in an alternate service plan. And, and it was right away. You, know, like you, had to, you had to do it right away after graduation, right? Yeah, you had to serve right away after graduation, which is a whole another story. But uh, but yeah, so all I have to say, like whenever I went to the Air Force Academy, I you know I kind of still wanted to go pro, but I knew it was a long shot. Um, my my NFL stuff didn't really start firing up until my junior year, being all conference. That that was a conference back when TCU, BYU, Utah. You know, so I was an all conference first team, all conference player. Yeah, the Mountain West. Year. So, yeah, the Mountain West. Back when the Mountain West was good. Uh, so yeah, we had, I was all conversation and then I ended up being an all American my senior year and that's when all the agents were coming and like, man, this is real. Like I could, I could actually go pro. Like even at five, seven, I actually have an opportunity to go pro and then NFL teams were calling. And so it, it, it got real, but I don't think it really got real till my, my senior season, you know, or junior or senior season. I was like, Oh, I might, I might actually have a little something. I might be able to make it. But before then I was just happy to play D1 football. When you were going through that process, what were scouts and ultimately teams saying to you? Was it, what was the feedback you were getting good or was it predominantly based around your service? It was predominantly based around my service. They, they, they thought, they, they loved the way I played and everything, but you know, it, the question always was, is there anything we could do to have an alternate service plan or something to where we could get you right away? And from there, I actually had a meeting or called the, um, superintendent of the Air Force Academy and I actually had a meeting with him with my parents and said hey look we're getting all this love from the NFL like 
what do you think we should do to try to get me to go pro? I'm not trying to get out of my military commitment, but I mean, this is a big opportunity. Like I should be able to take advantage of this once in a lifetime opportunity. What do you think I should do? And he said, well, put the, put a package together and send it through staffing. And staffing is basically like layers. You got to get this person to approve it to go to the next one. Then you have to get that person to approve it to go to the next level. So he told me to put a package together. So I worked with my AOC, which was is Air Officer Commanding. They're kind of like the lead of your squadron at the academy. And what they... What she did was she helped me put my package together with my parents and everything. We sent it through staffing. Uh, I went through 15 levels of staffing, got approved. And then the, the package I put together said, if I get picked up mid-round or better, so fifth or better, to allow me to go pro first and do my commitment after my my NFL career. Okay. That was the package. It, it, it like high level, that was what the package was. So it went through 15 levels of staffing. So it went through 15 signatures. It got to the guy that told me to put the package together, who was a three-star general at the time. He was the head of the academy. Um, and he he's the one who denied it. Wow. Yeah, so my parents flew in. We had a meeting with him. He was close to retirement. And what he told me and my parents were, I basically, I couldn't use my last favor on this. That's unbelievable. Yeah, so... There's a bunch of stories like that. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that all went. Uh, so I knew what I was getting into, but you know, at the end of the day, I went to the academy. You know, you you know what you signed up for, you know. But I kind of went to the academy because that was my only option at the time. Yeah. You know, and I told, and I didn't want. I told my parents when I was a child that they were going to pay for my college, and it was D one. I I knew I wanted to play D one because I, you know, Texas high school football. We put play in front of ten thousand people mm-hmm. fr- every Friday night. So like. I couldn't go to D2 school, in my mind. I couldn't go to D2 school and play in front of a 1,000 people every game. Like, that was my mindset. So I ended up going to the Air Force Academy. Plus, you know, everybody was kind of like, you know, you got to think about life after football. And, you know, I had my parents that were really supportive. of. My dad's a big businessman, so he's he's all about, you know, smart decisions. So he kind of like, he didn't push me towards that, but he's kind of like, you really probably should kind of consider doing the academy because, you know, NFL, I think it's like 0.01% of, People make it to the NFL, so like the reality of it is, it's a long shot. Even though I was there, it's a long shot, you know. So when you were you were twenty one, twenty two at the time when you were presenting this package to the to the people that the fifteen people that you brought up, when you when that package ultimately got denied, what were your feel? Did you have any feelings of regret compared to now as a grown man? How do you feel about the whole situation? Are you proud of choosing the Air Force? And what are just your thoughts about that? So going through it, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I was pissed. Like, you know, I've, I've gone through all this work, you know, got some, you know, I had agents knocking my door down. I had NFL scouts that were, you know, really interested. I, you know, I'm a five, seven defensive back of the, the odds are already stacked against me. And I've heard my entire life that I couldn't go pro because I'm too short or too small. Right. A four, three, 40 helps, it does, it does, it does, and, uh, and I had a I had a pretty good vert too. So, but it helps when everybody has always said, you know, you can't do it, you can't. And that's always been fuel to my fire. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm-hmm. But I got to this point, and the person who told me to put something together to make it happen denies it, so I was pissed. Yeah, like this is a dream I've had since I was five years old, so I was pissed. But um, I actually had a conversation with my parents 
about this yesterday because, you know, with the draft and everything going on, like, my parents are cleaning out their house because they're about to sell it and build a new one. But they uh, had an article in the NFL, an article about me going to the NFL, like, on my mom's office desk, and I read through it. And then we kind of started talking about the whole situation. And now me being a grown man, I'm 32 now, uh, being a grown man, you know, you kind of look back. And me going to the Air Force Academy was probably the greatest decision I could have made because I got buddies that, you know, got opportunities in the NFL, but they didn't stick, and now they're trying to find work. Whereas, you know, me being an academy grad, you know, I'm kind of pushed to the top. I could go somewhere and make six figures, you know, easily just by having being a graduate of the Air Force Academy. You know, plus the network is so big. Like, I reached out to the president of United Airlines, because I had an app, I'm very entrepreneurial, so I had an app that I developed and uh, wanted to get his mentorship because he was an academy grad. And he was like, yeah, come on to Chicago, come meet with us. So I came out there to Chicago and met with the president. Now he's now the president. He was the, no, now he's the CEO. He was the president of United Airlines, but he's an academy grad. And he just welcomely had us come. So like the network in itself and, you know, the, I guess the status of being an Air Force Academy grad is, is pretty high. And, you know, I think God has a reason for doing everything he does. And he, he probably saved me from self-destruction because if I would have went to the NFL, you know, no telling <laughs> what I would have been getting into and, and stuff like that because uh, I, I did back then like to party. Hey, so, I, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Yeah. So it is frustrating, but now that I'm looking back at it, it still eats me up, but I wouldn't have my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. That's probably for sure, and you know, so I think everything does happen for a reason. But it still, it still eats me up. Like you know, I, I you know, we got an Air Force Academy guy that got signed to the, the Cardinals this year, and it's just like, man, because the rules change now where you can exactly. go for it right away. You yeah. know, so it's it's kind of fresh because I know a whole bunch of cats that I played with that should be in the NFL right now. You know, that were really ballers, but just because of the military commitment and all that comes with that, all that it comes with, they just weren't afforded real opportunities. No, I 100% agree. So after your two years, you graduated at the Air Force. You served as a, it says here, your second year of work, you were working as a project manager for a missile defense system. What, what was that like? It was cool, but, you know, I was, I was, try, I was, I was stationed in Boston, so it was difficult because I was still trying to stay in shape and all that. Yeah, because you were still so training because you knew after those two years you wanted to go back to the NFL, which ultimately you landed, you were you got an invitation to go try out for a couple teams, right? Right. Well, I, it was Chicago Bears. I ended up getting an opportunity with the Chicago Bears that really wasn't quite an opportunity. I was so far down the depth chart that it, it I, there was really no chance for me to I really wasn't even getting any walkthrough reps and stuff so it was, they basically brought back their rookie um, they brought a rookie a lat, they brought a two year guy back to work some stuff so and then they had signed two undrafted free agents that year so you had those three that were kind of and then there's one there's two other corners me and another guy who were there and they put him as that fourth corner so I was that fifth swing corner so I really wasn't getting any rest, but like in one on ones and everything, I was destroying their their draft pick receiver. Balled <laughs> out the entire camp. But the scout told me, I was like, "Hey, I need to make a big decision from this military standpoint on if I need to get out or get in. Can you give me your honest feedback on you know if if I can make it in the NFL? Like, cause if I'm if you think I can make it in the NFL, then I'm about to do some drastic things with the military yeah. and try to take my shot." But if you don't, it's not worth me doing that. So he was like, yeah, man, you 
you are a dude. Like, you are good. Like, we just couldn't make a fair evaluation in a weekend. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then going back to the missile defense system, that, that was pretty, that was pretty cool. Um, but I was so green that I was just, and my mind, my mind was all focused on football, to be honest. Like, I was just trying to get yeah. to the bare minimum and get out of there and go train. Um, and it got difficult because in Boston, I don't know if you know, but I, I mean, it's, you have maybe three months of good weather and then it's rainy, snowy. Like I, I lived through a hurricane when I was out there and I was only out there for three years. I think like two hurricanes, three blizzards, like, Jeez. but fortunately, uh, I had a buddy who was training. He was, I think he was drafted in the CFL. Uh, and me and him would train and we ended up going to Harvard and they had like a bubble. So like whenever it's snowing, they basically put a bubble over their stadium so you could still work out. And we ended up going there and being allowed to train there on the field. And then we ran into their quarterback and one of their all-time leading running backs. So we ended up all kind of working together because we were all trying to get to a common goal. Cool. I think they were, more focused, they were focused on the CFL, and I was focused on the the, AF, or the NFL. But, yeah, I mean, the military piece was cool. You know, we were basically putting um, – we are upgrading our – we have basically uh, – missile defense systems around like five missile defense systems around the u.s so basically if we have a missile attack from a foreign country it identifies it and what it did at that point was it just identified it and we'd have to get fighter jets up there to shoot down now what it does is what the upgrade was doing was we didn't it was kind of simultaneous okay we identified a missile coming now we're intercepting it and, and, and intercepting it up in the atmosphere so that if it explodes when we intercept it it just kind of dissolves in the atmosphere so that was the upgrade that we were doing. And uh, so it, it, that in itself was like, oh, so we're safe. Like, you know, Korea can't just shoot a missile over here and hit us. Like, we got all these things in place. So that, that was pretty cool. But it was completely different than what I expected the military to be because I was an officer and majority of the people I was working with were civilians. Whereas most military bases, you have all military. And you're an officer, you have a whole bunch of enlisted. But I was an officer. I think it was like 10% on base was military. And then the rest were civilians. So we were on the business side. So I was working with Raytheon on that one. Uh, you know, you work with Boeing and stuff like that. So that was kind of like my Air Force job was acquisition. So we were procuring or it's procurement essentially or upgrading. That's super yeah. interesting. What are some things that, you know, outsiders may not know or just some things that you're involved with the Air Force that you're most proud about, whether that's moments, achievements or just things that you've gone through? I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed my last job in the Air Force, and just I, I guess the, the thing that I loved about the Air Force the most is the people. My a couple of my best friends. So I had my high school buddies, but then now I have my Air Force buddies, and I talk to my Air Force buddies pretty much every day. So we have group texts, which get exhausting, as you probably yeah. didn't know. But um, but yeah, I, it's, it's just that that brotherhood that we have. Like a lot of my close buddies, um, I wouldn't trade them in for the world. So I think that. That and then the fact that you get to go, you know, live and 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 go to pretty cool places. So like I was stationed in Colorado for my first year. I was coaching football, and then my second through fifth year, I was in Boston. And then I moved. My last duty station was in Los Angeles, and my job in Los Angeles was an international program manager. So I was essentially going to foreign countries trying to convince. Uh, our foreign partners to join our military satellite communication systems, which, as you can imagine, all we really did was brief them on what we were doing because they wanted to be a part of it, and then we just go party 
in New Zealand, <laughs> Australia, Canada, you know. So it was a really cool job. So I think the people um, that you meet and then the experiences and and the places you get to go on the military dime. Like, I didn't pay for anything. I got, my, like, when I traveled to, to the UK, I got to receive the miles for that, you know? So it was just, it was just a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. And then, you know, you have all the benefits of being a veteran. Uh, so I got a, when I moved to Los Angeles, I bought a house and then moved to Texas, built the house. So like just being able to buy homes wherever you're stationed and try to rent them out. So that kind of started my real estate uh, I guess empire that I'm, that I'm working to build. I, I did some research, and if you just want to let the people know kind of what you're doing with your real estate empire that you're building and things that you just got going on in your personal life. Yeah, so, uh, so I'm, I'm, from a real estate standpoint, my, I have a family-owned company that uh, is custom home building and residential development company, so we find, like, land, and we'll, uh, we'll develop it and get the pads ready, and we'll either sell them to another builder, like a Toll Brothers or a First Texas, or we'll keep the lots ourselves and build custom homes on them. So we have one community in Flower Mount called Hillside that um, is a true custom community. So we developed that and then we're holding on to those lots. It's 27, about three fourths of an acre lots. And uh, we're building custom homes on that. Whereas we have another development in Flower Mound that we're wrapping up that we sold to uh, Darling Homes. And that's a 35 lot community. So we, we, we do that, that's on the family side. And then my dad, as I said, he's kind of a businessman. He he also why I'm so entrepreneurial. And he was like, hey, you know, unfortunately, when I moved back, our concrete construction guy passed away, and he was a long time friend. And uh, my we didn't have a concrete person, so my dad was like, hey, let me teach you this. He know he's a jack of all trades, so he teaches me the concrete business. And now I started my own concrete company, and I'm and I'm you know leveraging the family company as well as I have about six other builders that I'm pouring concrete foundations for. And then from a traditional real estate standpoint, I own a rental property in California and then two in Alabama. And those two in Alabama are, are hundred percent section eight. That's a whole nother game. And then I've built a custom home here that I'm living in in Flyermouth. And then I developed an app and so I, I just, I do a lot. And a lot of people argue that, I do too much, but I'm the kind of guy that says that if you have multiple streams of income, you'll 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 bring in a lot, a lot more money. So, and that's kind of that's kind of what I'm what I do day to day now, uh, being a dad best I can. That's <laughs> and awesome. Husband. So this yeah. is, and I I just thought of this one. This is the last one that I can get you out on. Compare back when you were at the Air Force and you were playing. What were game weeks like when you were playing, you know, just a regular conference game compared to when you guys were playing versus the Army and versus the Navy? What were those game weeks like? And ultimately, what were those games like and how were they different, if they were? Uh, for me, I hated playing Army and Navy because they were, I was a defensive back and they, uh, they're, you know, typically, typically like kind of a true option type, so it was just all run. So it's kind of boring for me. But from a from a culture standpoint, you know, everybody puts the Army and Navy as like if you if, if the Air Force Academy beats Army and Navy and lose the rest of the se- rest of the games, and that's a still that's still a, and get the Commander in Chief trophy. That's that's a win. Like that's a great season. And, and I and I and I always wanted to win the conference, so I didn't really care about Army and Navy because they didn't really impact. I'd rather be a conference champion than 
commander-in-chief champion. However, it was pretty cool because we finally won it my senior year, and I got to go present President Obama with uh, a jersey. So I got to kind of chop it up with him a little bit and made him laugh, and that, I think that's what it is out there too. So that was really cool from a standpoint of the Army-Navy, but I was I was the kind of guy that wanted to be top 25, which we were our senior year, but top 25, win our conference, you know, go to the big bowl game and stuff like that. So, But preparation, you know, I, I, I prepped for Army and Navy uh, just like I did against OU. Like, you know, I was just a hard worker, and I just studied the game and always had a chip on my shoulder, so I, I gave it my all every week. And then game time come around, I'd be in the locker room and I'd be stressing out. I'm like, why in the world do I play this game? I wanted to quit before every every single football game I've ever played. I wanted to quit before I was out there. And the first kickoff happens, and then you know you're you're in it. So, but that's just some some funny, interesting fact about me that I just I freaked out before every game. So I, I miss that feeling. Cause I'm not really there's nothing really that I'm doing now that's kind of competitive and you get that, those butterflies and. Was was the feeling like in the locker room or on campus different when you were playing other service schools? I mean, maybe I'm just hyping it up myself, but I just feel like that's got to mean something, maybe more to oh, the community yeah, or what? Yeah, oh yeah, the community, the, the overarching Air Force, Navy, and Army, the the school, like they go over, they go over and beyond. They have, you know, it's it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal for the Service Academy weeks. Um, and they, you know, they have all this extra stuff that they do, spirit missions and spirit videos, and you know, you have exchange students that do things. So it, it's a really, it's a really pretty cool thing but you know i'm with having 23 semester hours playing d1 football you're not really focused on all that stuff you're just focused on school and prepping for the games you don't have time to really dive into all the extracurriculars of what comes along with the military the military games but it's a big deal and i'm and now that i'm out of it you know it's pretty cool getting to watch parties and like we had to watch at the at the the president of united airlines he has watch parties for our games every year and he lives on Straight Lane. I don't know if you know about Straight Lane, but that's where Jerry Jones lives. So okay. it's an incredible thing just getting just getting all these academy grads together in support and everybody, you know, it's all Air Force and we're like, oh, you know, and then, like this year's Navy game was uh, disheartening because we should have won it and they ended up driving last, you know, so it's, it's pretty cool from an overarching thing, but when you're, when you're a player, you really don't get into it. And the coaches don't want you getting distracted. They're like, don't get distracted by all the hoopla stuff you need to focus in on the task at hand absolutely that's always something that coaches are drilling in eliminate the distractions and focus in on what you got to focus in on right yeah yeah there's a lot yeah, I can only imagine. I, I played one semester of NAIA football, and I, I quit after that because it was too much. So I could only imagine, you know, 23 hours and playing at the Air Force. So my hat's off to you, and I think your your story and just who you are is truly remarkable. So And I thank you for your service as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm actually working on a, a, a book or a... Or a film, I don't know about my story because a lot of people have said that they're like your 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 story is really incredible. And then I uh, kind of just funny kind of off topic story. I don't know if you've watched the show All American. Oh, I love it! I love it. Or heard of it? Yeah. So so Spencer James is based his story is based off of a guy named Spencer Pacinger. Yeah, he played for the Giants um, and won the Super Bowl. 
Right. So so Spencer played with me in my All Star game uh, okay. out of college, and uh, I was watching All American. I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Like Spencer is an extra in this in this in this TV show. Like, yeah, he was cool. a coach. <laughs> Yeah, he was a coach. So I was like, I, I always Google like true stories because I like to know like what's real and what's not of the film or the TV show. So I Googled it and it said it was about him. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. Like I played with, he was on my football team in my All-Star game out of college. And I've been keeping up with him. He's a real humble guy, really cool. And uh, I asked him how to approach doing kind of what he did about his story. And he, he's open and he's kind of helping me through that. So I think it may turn into something, may not, but he's, we'll, we'll see. But uh, people have told me that I have a story to tell. And I would like to tell it to, you know, help me, I think, heal from the fact that I'm not in the NFL one. And then two, I could probably help some others that are undersized or, you know, people have always told them they can't do something. And then, you know, be able to get to accomplish what, you know, people say you can't. A hundred percent. I think it would be extremely inspirational. That's kind of the, the idea. We'll see if it turns into something, but but I'm so, I'm so busy though, <laughs> you know. So I try to like take a little time once a week to jot some stuff down, but you know, we'll We'll see. Well, Reggie, I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me on the on the on the show. Uh, let some people know if you have social media or where they can follow you at, and just you know where they can reach you at and talk to you if they want to. All right. So uh, my Instagram, which is kind of what I'm on the most, is uh, Reggie Rembert Jr. So R E G G I E. R-E-M-B-E-R-T-J-R. Um, and then my Facebook, I think, is Reginald B. Rimbert Jr. And I'll link both those accounts in the description below. Okay. Well, Reggie, I appreciate you coming on, man. I hope you and the fam continue to stay safe in this hectic time we got going on right now. All right, I appreciate you. just being run like a terrible organization is my New York Knicks and it I just have so many thoughts good and bad more so bad actually not much or not many good thoughts at all but this could just be the fan in me but I do see a very 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 small light at the end of the tunnel I think this past draft with acquiring R.J. Barrett, while we missed out on the first two, you know, picks in the draft, they were the best two players clearly to go, and that's Zion and Ja. I thought at the time, and much like they have, have proved to be immediate franchise changers. And I thought that R.J. Barrett had that potential, but I didn't think it would be like he would step into Madison Square Garden and game one, he was going to turn us into a playoff contender, much like those two guys did. But I do think in two or three years, he could be one of your first, second, or maybe third best player on a playoff team. And I think in his prime, he could be maybe the first or second best player on a playoff team. I just think... RJ has a lot of potential. I like the head he has on his shoulders. He's a really confident guy, but he's not egotistical, and he's a guy that's really team-oriented. If you just watch the games, yeah, he he shoots a high number of shots, and he's a he's a high-volume shooter, but he he plays the game the right way on both sides of the court. He makes the, the play that benefits the team more times than not, and as a rookie, he was somebody that I honestly was impressed with. I know if you go and look at his numbers, they may... They may seem like they're not all that special, but when you just watch the guy, you see the potential that he has. 
And there's a lot of guys on this roster that do have potential. I mean, obviously they haven't shown it because for the last four, five, six, whatever you want to call it, seasons, we have been terrible. And there's no denying that, and I'm not here to argue that. I'm on, I'm on board with you. We've been terrible. But guys like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Knox, I think those are guys that you can build with and build around. And I think there's some young pieces on that team like those three guys and like a guy like Frank Nielakina. I think he can be a great bench player on a team that's competitive. I'm not sure he can be your best point guard, but I think he can be the first guard off the bench, guard other teams' best wing players and guards for long stretches of playoff games. He's a disruptor. He's long. He's, he's, got like, he's like 6'6 with a 7'1 wingspan. I mean, if you just go search Frank Nielakina highlights and defensive highlights especially, you'll see what I'm talking about. The guy is like a glove. He's given some of the best guards and wing players in the league problems, and there's video proof to show that. So there's no denying that the Knicks have some young players that do have promise. I'm not sure any of those guys would ever be MVP candidates or go-to guys in the fourth quarter with the exception of R.J. Barrett, but I do think those other three guys that I mentioned could be solid role players for a team that's trying to compete for a championship. And while that idea is way out there and not even close to in the Knicks just point of view and the lane that they're trying to travel and things that they're trying to manifest, you can't even possibly think that we're trying to compete for a championship right now. Right now, we need to set the foundation and the groundwork and build up, which is something we should have been doing for the past couple years. And we have, to a small degree, like I said, we've we've gathered some talent, but now it's time to start putting some wins together and putting guys around these younger players that are going to help them benefit and reach their true potential. And if you've been paying attention to anything Knicks-related or you've just been watching NBA TV or just been following any NBA news... The newest rumor is that the Knicks are interested in Chris Paul. But not to toot my own horn, back in November, I'm on this Facebook fan page of the Knicks. It's called the Knicks Fix, and it's started by Alan Hahn. And it's just a place where a whole bunch of angry Knicks fans, because we suck and have sucked for the past 10 years, or I've been a part of it since, I think it's 2011. So yeah, almost 10 years. And we had one good season with Carmelo and... All the old guys like Jay Kidd, but besides that, it's been a board where people will just let go and talk about and write out their feelings of the Knicks, and it's really a place of a lot of really, really intelligent people that know what they're talking about. And it's just a place where it's fun, you can talk Knicks, there's Knicks fans to talk about games with. During games, the feed is really active, and it's something that I think is really cool, and I, and I appreciate Alan for doing that. And what's actually really cool is Alan who used to write for Newsday, I don't know if I said that already, but he has the Knicks fix, and now he's a part of the MSG TV channel, and he's like, he sometimes, he's commentated a couple games, but he's more like an analyst, like a halftime show analyst, and they have him actually do a segment where it's the Knicks fix, and it's just really cool to see where it's come from, but to say all that and saying, back in November, I said on the Knicks fix, and this is a quote, the Knicks are going to be bad for a while. And the need for a veteran point guard who can be a leader on both ends of the court, a shot creator and maker, and another coach on the floor is clearly needed, or the development for a lot of these young players could be at stake. Can't believe I'm saying this, but might as well give the Thunder a call and see what CP3 would cost. 
And that's what I said back on November 3rd. And I feel the exact same way. If you just watch how well Chris Paul has gelled and fit with that young core in Oklahoma City, and he's putting these young players in positions to succeed, like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's, he's just a great guy to have on your team to develop and mentor and be an older brother to these young guys. I think he would bring the absolute best out of a guy like Frank Nielakina and R.J. Barrett. And could you imagine a pick and roll? Oh, I know, I know it's not the sexiest thing in the world and it's not going to bring championships, but having a guy like Mitchell Robinson play with a point guard like Chris Paul is only going to help Mitchell Robinson reach his absolute highest potential and level of play. The guy's an athletic freak. He's 7-1. He blocks almost three shots a game. He jumps out of the gym, and he's even shown an ability to put the ball on the floor. And I just think his 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 ceiling is extremely high, and I think that as well of R.J. Barrett. And a guy like Chris Paul, his influence on that locker room and that team, and I think it's just something that the Knicks need to do. I've always been hesitant when the Knicks in the past, because clearly it has never worked, when they trade for an aging superstar, and especially one on a hefty contract like Chris Paul was on. But I just think this is a situation where where the hell do, what do we have to lose at this point? He's on a, he has two years left guaranteed on his deal. So if worse comes to worse, the deal backfires and Chris Paul gets hurt, or for some odd reason, just his play and production falls off a cliff. It's two years. That's not, we've sucked for the past eight years. Two years isn't going to kill us. I think it's a, it's a high risk, but it's also a very high reward deal. I just think he's a guy that he's going to put us in a position to compete for the playoffs and give this team a real goal that's achievable, and putting him around young players like Kevin Knox. I mean, Chris Paul pushing the break and letting Kevin Knox and teaching him how to run the fast break, fill the lanes on the outside. What it takes to be a good player in this league. What it takes to play from in this league for more than 10 years at a high level. How to take care of your body. Just how to be a pro. These are things that the Knicks young players need. For the past couple years, we haven't had any good to great or impactful veteran leadership. We've had young guys on this team that haven't been able to reach their true potential because of the lack of veteran leadership. It's just something that I think the Knicks could really benefit from. I think if you add Chris Paul to this roster and you use that lottery pick where we're probably going to be a top seven pick and you hope that that guy can produce, that team should be able to compete for the playoffs in the East. The East is terrible. And I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs if they added Chris Paul, but like I said, they should be able to compete and have these young guys play in possibly some meaningful games and play in some meaningful minutes. It's what they need, and it's best for their growth. I think the connection with Leon Rose is our GM, who, like I said, formally represented Chris Paul. I think that's something to definitely not scoff at. I think there's something to that. Possibly he got this job because he sold management that Chris Paul is what the Knicks needed I don't know but it seems like a plan that would work and although like I said the risk is high the risk is only high because you're paying him 40 million dollars for the next 80 million dollars for the next two years and he's 35 years old but the risk of being bad 
isn't that high because we're going to be bad without him. And quite frankly, we have the money to spend, so why the hell not try? I mean, we've been trying to sign a free agent for the last two to three years of Big Fish, trying to recruit him to NYC and play for the New York Knicks, but it's just something that we haven't been able to achieve. So let's let's use that cap money that we have and let's just go get Chris Paul. Let's put him, let's put some young bucks that want to win around Chris Paul and let's roll the ball out there and let's fucking play. I think that was the first F word I ever said on this show. I'm sorry about that for all the kids listening. But the Knicks, they just they just get a rise out of me, man. There's no team, as much as I love my Giants and I love my Yankees, if I could choose one team to win in their respective sport, the championship, it would be the Knicks. And, and that may just be because I haven't seen them win. But there's nothing like when you have a good basketball team that you're a fan of. It's just fun to watch. It's entertaining. The season's so long. There's so there's like I said, there's always something to watch. Like I'm saying, by no means does Chris Paul guarantee you to be a playoff contender or a team that can make a run in the playoffs. None of that. I'm not saying that. Yes, I expect them to be able to compete for a playoff spot, whether that be the seventh or eighth seed if they added Chris Paul. But I just think the uh, the overall effect that he would have on this team would go much further than the wins and loss column. And I think it would pay dividends, maybe not in that first year he's with us, but in two or three years, I think a lot of those players would say that they benefited from playing with Chris Paul and they learned how to be a pro and how to play basketball at a high level. But as far as a trade package goes, we have the salaries to match up and send $40 million that way to OKC and take on Chris Paul's long contract. But not only that, the Knicks have eight first-round picks in the next five years. And just if you look at the success rate of first-round picks, sure, you don't want to trade a lottery pick for Chris Paul. But if you could trade a pick that maybe the Mavs have given you in that Porzingis trade, or possibly a first-rounder that the Clippers are going to send you, I mean, those are going to be late picks in the first round. And if you can net Chris Paul for a late first-round pick, I think you just got to do it. I'm not sure if that's enough. I don't even know if this is a real possibility, but a couple notable sources, I mean, Ian Begley has talked about it. He's one of the higher profiled Knicks beat writers out there. A lot of sites have reported on it. I mean, if it's just a possibility, I think you at least need to check it out. I think the, the risk is high, but like I said, it could be a very well calculated risk and the reward could be exponential. I mean, at this point, what the hell are the Knicks gotta lose? Let's go get Chris Paul. When I was watching the draft this past weekend, I was just thinking of a way or a segment to have on the show around the NFL until the season came back where it would be fan based around fan involvement and fan engagement. And I came up with the idea that I want to have a fan of every single different NFL team come on. Maybe we'll have one or two fans an episode, maybe one. I'm still trying to decide that. But have them come on and let's just talk about their favorite team. Why that's their favorite team, how that's their favorite team. Maybe find some cool stories about how they fell in love with that team or 
you know, y'all heard my story about how I'm a Giants fan. So I think it would be cool to hear some other fans' stories about hey, how they became fans of their team and have them not only talk about that, but let's talk about the offseason that their team put together. Let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about free agency. Let's talk about any trades or cuts that their team made. And then let's let's talk about their outlook as a fan on what they think their team can accomplish this season. So I'm really excited for this this new segment. And to start it off, week one, I got my boy Tegan Nails on. I've known Tegan for, sounds super weird to say, but 20 years now. Uh, Tegan is one of my best friends, and uh, he's super knowledgeable. And I'm bringing him on to talk about the Packers. Just because so many things and just thoughts that I have and need to be answered about their selection in the first round. For me, it's just questionable, so I want to get some questions answered. And Tegan is a Packers fan. He's been a Packers fan his whole life. He's extremely knowledgeable, and I'm excited to have him on the show. So, Tegan, I appreciate you coming on, man. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. Glad to be on the show. Uh, I hate that it's uh, in this kind of fashion, but, uh, you know, looking forward to it. How's it going with you? Yeah, I'm glad you came on, man. Episode four, not too late, but, you know, I'm hanging in there. You know, it could be worse. Yeah, man. As Jameis Winston always says, you know. The glass is always full because just because it's maybe full, half full of water and still full of air. So we got to keep that glass full. We gotta you always got to look at it glass <laughs> half full. That's but, right. You know, I had you on today because, as I know, and like I want everyone else to know, you're one of the biggest Packer fans that I know. And recently, with the draft going on, a whole bunch of buzz has been surrounding the Packers and their front office and their management and honestly, what the hell they're doing. And I just want to get right to the draft. And I want to know your initial reactions when you saw the Packers were trading up in the first round. And then when you saw who they selected with that pick. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was saying I had a little, you know, watched the draft with a few people and I was I was saying, you know, I, I have a feeling here that we, we either trade up or we trade back. Uh, and the reason I thought we were going to do that is because there was kind of that top five receiver tier that I think we were trying to go after. And I think if there was a move, we felt like, uh, you know, it's the, the, the top three, obviously, and then you got Justin Jefferson. And we were pretty high on uh, Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Um, so I thought there was a chance that we'd move up and try to snag one of those guys. If not, I think there we could have got maybe some value by going uh, maybe earlier in, in day two uh, and picking one of those second-tier receivers. Uh, but receiver was definitely on my mind. Uh, there was a little bit of me thought maybe an inside linebacker or a right tackle because we lost Brian Balaga this offseason. And then I see uh, Justin Jefferson go off, or Rieger go off at 21, Jefferson at 22, and then Ayuk at 23, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe we've been trading back. And then I see uh, Packers are trading up to 26. <laughs> and originally yeah, I was like, oh, well, you know what? Patrick Queen's still on the board. Uh, maybe we scoop the inside linebacker. We uh, The G-men the G picked up uh, our guy, uh, Martinez, and yeah. we needed a fill in the linebacker. And, and um, so I'm like, okay, I, I can do with that. that. That's good. We don't get the receiver in the first, but – We'll take uh, Patrick Queen, and then I start looking at Twitter, and I see uh, Packers Jordan Love, and I just honestly, my heart sunk a little bit. I was like, "What are we doing?" Um, and and then I receive hundreds of texts and tweets, <laughs> and everybody's blowing me up, saying, "What the hell are the Packers doing?" And that was kind of my initial reaction as well. Um, still a little bit confused by it, but you know, now that I've had some time to cool off, I think. 
I guess I can understand what I'm saying, what what they're doing there. And in hindsight, you know, this is something that we won't be able to really talk about and discuss if it was a good or bad move for another 10 to 15 years. Because if he's really the next guy, um, you know, this is it's not the same situation that happened with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. But uh, people were a little confused about that one, too. And when they're when they're high on a guy, they're going to draft him. I, I did not like how we traded a fourth away to move up four spots. Um, thought that was a little bit of a stretch. Apparently, there was a couple teams in the early second that were trying to trade up as well. So maybe that's why we had to do it. But um, yeah, a little confusion definitely when uh, we got old Jordan Love, and I didn't know much about him either. I've, I've watched quite a bit of his tape afterwards uh, because he might be our quarterback in a couple of years, but. Um, definitely a little confused, and I appreciate all the terrible texts I got. <laughs> I'm sure when you've been watching film, you've been able to tell. The kid's got untapped potential. His arm strength is amazing, and just the throws that he's be- he's able to deliver off different platforms is truly it's truly remarkable, and you see why people compare him to Pat Mahomes. But he's he was the fourth and sometimes fifth-rated quarterback in this class, and I know a lot of people, like you said, tried to compare this to the Brett Favre situation, but the Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers situation rather, but I just don't see that at all because at the time before the draft, Brett Favre told the media and told his team that he could see himself retiring at the end of the season. And Aaron Rodgers hasn't, you know, administered that thought or belief at all. And Aaron Rodgers in that draft was arguably the best quarterback and could have been picked first overall. And he slid down to 21 or 24, wherever it was. And the Packers felt like they got the best player in the draft. And I'm sure if you ask the Packers now, that's not how they feel about Jordan Love. So when people compare it to the Brett Favre situation, what do you make of that? Yeah, no, I I agree. Um, You know, Brett Favre was kind of wishy-washy. I will say at one point uh, in an interview last year after a game where Rodgers kind of got pounded up a little bit, he did say that he sees the 18th green. Which okay. that was a little concerning to yeah. me. I said, you know, like, hold on a second. And then now he's he's talking about I'm going to play for four or five more years. I feel great. And I think that had to do something with the fact that they went 13 and three, and maybe he sees this Lafleur system potentially depending on him to make big plays less um, and, and shift to that run game a little bit. But he did say that last year, and it was a little bit concerning. But yeah, there, there's definitely some big differences in that and, and the fact that we didn't trade up to get Aaron Rodgers. Exactly. We didn't use any draft capital in the fourth round. Um, Rodgers still has two more years on his contract. Uh, so I, I think there's it's definitely a different uh, situation there. And and the fact that we went you know 10 and 6, 10 and 6 before we drafted Rodgers and we had some wishy-washy seasons in between, whereas last year we're coming off a 13 and 3 season. And I think pretty sure the Packer Nation would say, oh, we were only a quarterback and a running back away from the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the part that really bothers me. I get the long-term play, but it's definitely a different situation than it was with the Favre-Rodgers. Exactly, and when you have a guy like Rodgers who, in my opinion, is still in his prime, and like you said, following a season where you were in the NFC title game, you were 13-3, and three. not only did you not pick someone in the first round to help Rodgers – you gave up a fourth rounder to pick someone in the first rounder that has no is not going to help Rodgers at all. It just yeah, it's just mind boggling yeah. to me. And to me, I understand. You know, you can see where the Packers are thinking. They hit gold when they had Brett Favre and they drafted Aaron Rodgers. And like we said, it, it's not the same situation. But to me, it feels like the Packers are poking out their chest and they're and they're saying 
we're the smartest guy in the room. We're no, we know what we're doing. We're going to take another quarterback in the first round while, while, while our guy still has a couple years left. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it worked last time for them. So they want to. They want to try to duplicate that process. Um, like you said, it's frustrating a little bit because because we did go thirteen and three, and although we kind of got torn up a little bit by San Fran in that uh, in that playoff game, I, I still feel like maybe we we're a couple pieces away from making that final push. And with Rodgers, I still think he's got a couple more years of for prime play. Um, I don't think he's quite the quarterback he was, but I still think he can make all the throws. Some of the things he did last year was was just as incredible as what he was doing in that MVP season. Um, so I, I think, you know, yeah, they are bullish. And, and I think the whole draft in general kind of told you that they're slowly transitioning to this uh, LaFleur system. And I think him and our, the new GM, Brian Gutekist, are kind of on the same page on that. Uh, it seems like... Before even in the second year, already kind of has a lot of power, and uh, you know the the draft kind of showed that. And it seems like they want to go to a more run based offense. You know, just off the moves that they've made. And a question, you know, that I had for you, and I like the way that you brought it up. What are what were some changes that you saw in year one for Mike McCarthy to Matt Lafleur? Well, you know, I, I think the the good thing about Lafleur is he, you know, the identity that he wants to have. He wants to start that with the run game. Uh, he wants to run a couple tight end sets. He wants to put people in motion. And McCarthy's offense through the great days, they it looked great. You know, we were getting the ball out quick. Um, Rodgers was tearing it up. We had a pretty good receiving core. Um, but then towards those last few years, it seemed like he just didn't have an identity. One one possession, we'd come out and throw shotgun three times in a row. The next time, we're handing the ball off three times in a row from a two back set. So you, you're just you're wondering what was going on, and there was clearly some some I wouldn't say hatred, but close to hatred between Rodgers and McCarthy. For sure, some tension. Um, yeah, definitely some tension. And then this year, you know, the offense got off to a pretty slow start, and it didn't definitely didn't look great last year. Um, but I, I think you could see the what his vision is and the process that it's going to take to get there. Um, so I think that's the biggest difference is that Lafleur knows his his what he wants to do and, and he's going to do everything that he can to get to that position. And like you said, their identity to me and looking forward is they want to become more of a maybe more of a balanced team where teams actually fear their run game and have to game plan for it. And when you yep. take a guy. A.J. Dillon in the second round, another running back. So in the first round, you took a quarterback. The second round, you took a running back. And I think if you asked any Packer fan or NFL fan, what were the two positions that the Packers didn't need in this draft? They would have said quarterback and running back. So if we got any Packer fans listening or if you just want to try and justify the pick, how would you do so? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, with the running back, I started to think about it a little bit, and, and maybe there's something to say because both uh, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones are free agents after this year. Okay. Um, so if if their strategy and, and it might be a good one, if Aaron Jones is, is trying to get a lot of money, yeah, if he goes uh, after this, this year. year, if he goes off again, he'll he'll want bread. And you know, if if your strategy going forward is every every three or four years you use a second or third round pick to draft an absolute bell cow. You run him into the ground for four years on his rookie contract. And then you say on to the next one. Um, I don't hate that strategy. I don't hate that uh, draft strategy at all uh, because you've seen what happens when teams pay running backs. It typically doesn't work out in their favor. 
I agree with that. That's definitely something that, as of right now, hasn't shown that it's a viable option and a you know a good strategy to go after. AJ Dillon could be a, a bruiser. That guy's six four or six foot, almost two fifty. Um, a crazy. He had a forty one inch vertical at the combine. Jesus. Uh, ran a four five three. You know the the guy. He doesn't. I don't think he has that that second breakaway gear, but he has quick bursts. And you know you comment you combine that with Aaron Jones, uh, especially if we can get some home playoff games in the cold weather. I don't think you want to be tackling a six foot two hundred fifty pound uh, running back. You know, fifteen to twenty times a game. So I think that that was kind of the mentality going in with that. Absolutely not. And I do like how in the second round they the Packers pick someone that ultimately will help Aaron Rodgers now in in the next couple years. And I actually saw this graphic today, and I know you saw it as well. It was a a graphic of the top 10 all-time passing TD leaders in the NFL, which it, it features Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Dan Marino, Fran Tarkenton, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, and Aaron Rodgers. And like I said, it shows all of the touchdown passes that they have thrown to first-round draft picks. And at the top of the list, you have Peyton Manning. He's thrown 293 touchdown passes to first-rounders. And at the very bottom of the list, you got Aaron Rodgers, and he's thrown a whopping total of one touchdown pass to players that were picked in the first round. Do you feel like in his time in Green Bay, he's been put in a situation by management to be successful and have playmakers around him to flourish like the Chiefs have done in such a short time in Kansas City? Yeah, you know, I think that's a big, uh, that's kind of the big sticking point over these last few days is there's been a huge knock on the management. Saying, and and I'll, I'll agree with the fact that maybe they haven't put the most talented guys around him. I think it's more so as of late rather than the beginning of his career, because the beginning of his career, he actually had a, a pretty good receiving core. I mean, Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings was a pretty good one-two punch. You had a, a late Donald Driver at that point. Um, so he wasn't that effective. Um, James Jones was pretty athletic for him. They had your Michael Finley for a few years there. So I think they Cobb had was a second the, rounder. Yeah, Cobb was a second rounder. I mean, Jordy Nelson, Cobb, and Greg Jennings were all second rounders. Um, so they 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 did use some draft capital on receivers. I think you know, but since Cobb, with the exception of Devonte Adams, I think Cobb was in 2011. Uh, they haven't used much draft capital since then uh, to surround him. And then you know, Ted Thompson is just. Uh, anti-free agency. I, I saw a, a graphic earlier from 2005. The only big-time offensive moves he made in free agency was Jeff Saturday and Jared Cook. Um, so, you know, that's what we're dealing with here. And Saturday uh, the was guy, at the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. The guy, he was about to retire, basically. I mean, he Ted Thompson did not like to do anything in free agency. Um, he wanted to build internally. And, and not to say that he wasn't successful at all. I mean, it felt like quite a bit of the years that we had a chance to make a deep playoff run. So he did do good things there, but I think there started to become frustration between him and McCarthy and McCarthy and Rodgers and, and them saying, we need to go get some veterans. Uh, it's good to build through the draft, but free agency is important as well. And then you saw that shift as soon as uh, Gutekiss came oh, in. Yeah, right away. Um, he, right away. I mean, he went and tried to sign Jimmy G. It didn't quite work out. Uh, Muhammad Wilkerson didn't work out, but at least he was trying to make a splash his first year. 
And then last year, he I think he had a hell of an offseason with Amos and then the Smith bros uh, absolutely balled out for us last year. The money that you guys put on the defensive side of the ball last offseason definitely paid its dividends. Like you said, the Smith brothers were an absolute terror off the edge. Yeah, they were. And, and our, our defense is very young, and, and they can fly around. I, I have a, quite a bit of optimism going forward with our defense. The Smith bros are on contracts for – uh, four more years now. I think when we have a young secondary that can fly around, uh, good playmakers in the secondary. I'm optimistic. I, I still think our, our run game could use some work. That's why I thought we were going to draft a linebacker with one of those early draft picks. Um, we signed Christian Kirksey in the offseason. Um, I'm backer. still not sure about him. He's solid. Uh, he's solid, and he's going to have to start for us. Um, but we're hoping that he makes a pretty big impact for us because he's going to have to be kind of our main uh, run stopper in the middle. He has big shoes to fill. Yeah, Blake Martinez was a was a stud. I mean, he it was like three years he, in a row. He's led the team three, in tackles. Yeah, absolutely. The guy was a stud. I think the reason we ended up not wanting to pay him is he he lacked a little bit of that side to side lateral speed. He couldn't quite get to the edge. And he's not a great um, coverage make, guy. He's not your modern day linebacker. That's exactly right, and I, and I think that's what we were going for when we drafted Oren Brooks uh, out of Vandy, um, and he was more of that coverage linebacker kind of guy, and you know we just didn't feel like Blake Martinez could could be that that guy that helped and played three downs and was successful. So I think you know I think the G men got a good get with him, uh, but you know I'm not mad that we didn't re-sign him at the same time. The team that you guys are bringing back, it's. You've got a lot of the same key parts from last year that you'll have on the field this year. And I know we've already talked about it before, but before the draft, um, a lot of betting sites released totals of over and under for team wins and losses. And the Packers were at eight and a, eight and a half. And before the yeah. draft, I know you were absolutely in love with that. You, you would have hammered the over. How do you feel about that now? I still like it. Um, uh, obviously, there's probably a little bit of subjectivity there with me saying I like the over eight and a half. Um, but I do like it. I, like I said, I think our defense, they made a big jump last year. Um, granted, let's not look at that San Fran playoff game. It was pretty ugly. Yeah. Uh, but I think they made a jump last year. I think they're going to continue because they're all young guys. I think they're going to continue to get better this year. Uh, I think you know, with I, I, I like that tight end that we drafted in the third round from Cincy, Josiah uh, Degara. He uh, he and Jay Sternberger. Sternberger missed most of, most of the season last year too, and I think with Lafleur kind of going towards that more like twenty one set, I think those guys are going to be used a lot. Um, I know, uh, obviously, it's a big uh, comparison, but uh, Lafleur kind of said he wanted to use uh, Josiah kind of like a use check out of San Fran, where he's putting him in motion a lot. He's not necessarily going to win at the line of scrimmage and just destroy defensive ends, but. He, he can he can be a formidable blocker going in motion, line up in the backfield, and create some mismatches. So I think there, you'll actually see a lot of two tight end sets uh, with Devontae out wide, and then that second receiver. You know, I, I don't know who that's. I was going gonna say be. who is somebody, that? Who is that right now? So somebody is that Geronimo? Uh, oh, y'all got Funches. Got, y'all no, got Funches. Geronimo's out. Geronimo's out. Uh, it's Funches we signed. I actually, and, I know. think Funches could be nice for y'all. He's a big body and he's athletic. And let's, let's be honest, he's never played with a quarterback like Rodgers. That's exactly right. I mean, he's a six-four receiver. Uh, Rodgers, he could be a serious uh, red zone threat for Rodgers. And then hopefully one of those other younger guys steps up. Valdez Scantlin has a ton of talent. Yeah, but he just hasn't 
quite gotten over that that and I think part of that's becoming more comfortable every year with Aaron Rodgers uh so him uh, Funches uh St. Brown but you know none of those names sound sexy yeah there's no sexy names in there but there could be some good production out of those guys and they're gonna need it yeah absolutely and I think Sternberger is is him and him and uh Josiah both are going to be pretty active in the passing game and Sternberger is a kind of a crafty route runner. I think uh, he's going to help open up the field a little bit and, and work the middle with Josiah. So I think we're going to utilize those two a lot more this year. We can end on this one. It's a question that I well, more of a topic. I was listening to some radio on the way home when I was driving. And it was, even if you're a hater and you list your top 10 quarterbacks ever, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre are going to be on that list. So, Absolutely. So when you when you say that, and then you say for the past 28 years, those two guys have been playing quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, and they've only produced two Super Bowl wins. Does that constitute as a failure? I, I think so. Um, I think so. I, I think, you know, Favre got the back-to-back uh, I think they lost to Elway, one of them. So that's, I guess, acceptable. But, you know, with the Rodgers thing, too, it's the guy to me is one of the most talented quarterbacks. He's not the best, but I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks of all time, like top three talented quarterbacks of all time. Some of the stuff that he can do on the field that changed the game. And before a, a Patty Mahomes came around, there was nobody else. Oh, he was Patty Mahomes. Doing, yeah, there was nobody that was doing things like he was doing. Um, so, yeah, and for us to only get to one, um, you know, we were a Brandon Bostic kick onside kick recovery away from <laughs> getting to two. Uh, I don't know why he was on the front line on that game with Seattle, but that know, game we, was we wild. Played, oh man, I, I was booking my Super Bowl tickets ready to go, and, <laughs> you know, I'm pouting in the corner after that. Um, but I, you know, we've made some runs and, and we've lost some, a couple overtime games in the playoffs, we've had some tough beats. Uh, but yeah, we we should have more than one Super Bowl, and hopefully these next two years, which is in my opinion all that I think Rodgers will either be on the Packers or play at a high level. Uh, hopefully these next two years we can we can make a run um, and, and get another ring because I think it would be a shame for Rodgers to only have one ring with as talented of a quarterback as he is. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree. And I still think they're y'all, like you said, for the next two to three years, there's still a window for you guys to compete and ultimately put yourselves in a position to be in the Super Bowl at the very least. I mean, Rodgers is still competing at an all-time high. There's this stat that I found on playerprofile.com, and they've got all these in-depth stats. And for quarterbacks, they have one. It's called Money Throws. And he's been number one the past two years. So his, his wow factor has still not fallen off. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And I actually, I was watching, I was going through Twitter earlier today, and uh, and I saw I saw your guy break it down, um, Greg Cassell. I know you love oh, him. And, and the guy's smart. Yeah, the guy's a genius. And he did go on there and say something that, although I've been kind of thinking it, and my brother has told me for the last couple of years, and, and I've kind of agreed, but as a, as a Packers fan, I want to put it off and say it, it's not true. But over the last couple of years, it seems, and, and Cassell was saying that, it seems that Rodgers is kind of, he's not really a, a timing quarterback anymore, you know, whereas when he was at his all-time best, he was getting to that. You know, obviously, he's going to make plays in the open field and scramble around and make insane plays, but 
he, he was really good at getting to that last step on the drop and just absolutely throwing a dart yeah. um, where he's saying that, you know, he's watched a lot of film over the last two years and, and Rogers misses a lot of open throws by either the inaccuracy or just completely not even throwing the ball. And, and it seems like, you know, going forward, he, he and, and LaFleur are going to have to be on the same page because I think this new offense that they want to have is going to be a lot of timing stuff um, and a lot of getting the ball out of your hand quick. So Rodgers has to trust in his receivers as hard as that is to do uh, and, and go forward with that mentality that he was throwing back in 2011, 2012, 2013 and know that, you know, he doesn't have to scramble around and, and make these incredible plays every single time that he drops back. Um, so that, that was interesting. It's like six or seven minutes. He was on the Rich Eisen show earlier, and uh, it was pretty interesting. I'll, I'll send you that later. Those, both those guys are really insightful, and I enjoy Absolutely. both of them. Well, Tegan, I appreciate you coming on, man, and dissecting the Packers and what they got going on. Um, I know you like to do a lot of betting. You don't win a lot, so let some, let some <laughs> people know on Twitter where they can follow you at and where they can you know hear some NFL, NBA, and just sports news from you. Yeah, I think I'm at Tegan MN. Um, not to be confused for Tegan, Minnesota, but that's my middle <laughs> and last name, my last initial, Tegan MN. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically all my tweets are sports related. And I look forward to coming back on this show. Absolutely. Uh, Packers rip off five wins in a row, and, and the plan is working. And both of our running backs are running for 70, 80 yards a game. And, and it'll be fun. It'll be a fun conversation then. No, absolutely. Now, this was good. I appreciate you coming on, buddy. Tell the fam and everybody I said hello, and y'all stay safe. All right, man. I appreciate you having me. Keep up the good work. Appreciate it, brother. It'll probably be about a week from the NFL draft when you guys are hearing this. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to touch on it. So I'm just going to give you some of my reactions that I had live and, you know, I thought about after the first two rounds. Um, These are going to be team-based. I mean, some player-based as well, but I mean, let's just get right to it. I love what my Giants are doing. I think we invested in our investments of Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. We're giving them much needed protection. I think that's a pick that can benefit both of those guys, and I think it's just going to benefit this team overall. I don't want to talk about the Giants too much because I'm hoping to have two guests come on next week to talk about them. But, I mean, in the first round, I love what we did, and in the second round, I love it even more. Xavier McKinney is an absolute player. If you watched Alabama play at all this year, that guy jumped off the screen. His slow 40 time made him drop to the second round, but he was easily the best safety prospect in the draft. So to get him in the second round, in my opinion, is an absolute steal. So I'm, I'm happy with what the Giants did in the first two rounds. Next, I think I think Justin Herbert to the Chargers could actually work. I know if you're a listener of the show, you I wouldn't say I bashed Justin Herbert, but I just told you what I thought about him and what I thought some of his weaknesses were. Like how I think his timing and his anticipation is not that good and it needs to be worked on, which is something it can. And I think having a receiver like Keenan Allen is perfect for a guy that needs to work on his timing and anticipation. Keenan Allen just gets open at will. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL. His ability to get off the press coverage, slide into the slot or play to the boundary, and no matter what, he's able to get at least a yard or two of separation, it seems like, every time he catches the ball. So the fact that Herbert lacks a little bit of 
you know, the pro-ready timing and anticipation, I think a matching of him and Keenan Allen is, you couldn't think of a better combination for a young quarterback like Herbert. Second, I mean, I got to talk about it. The Dallas Cowboys, that was that was a great pick. I love that guy, C.D. Lamb. Shout out Richmond, Texas and the Congrove Hurricanes. I do hate how Jerry Jones is making him wear number 88. That's extremely weird to me. The guy and the kid said that he wanted to wear number 10. So let the kid wear number 10. Let the kid be who the kid is. Don't try to make him into somebody else, Jerry. I don't know. That was just weird. And, and it pissed me off. It's just like... I don't get it. What are you doing? Like the kid said he wanted to wear number 10. Don't force him into the role of Michael Irvin or Des Bryant. It's just, I know there's a long history of 88 with the Cowboys franchise. And I know Jerry shared some story about his college teammate when they won a national championship was number 88 and his last name was Lamb and he just passed away. And that's cool, but it, that just almost makes the situation a little more weird for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking into it too much. It's just a number, but I love CeeDee Lamb to the Cowboys. I think they had needs on their team besides the receiver, but they went with the best player available on their board. You can't knock them for it. They're getting a top flight receiver. Like I said earlier in the show and in the past episodes, I think CeeDee Lamb, no matter where he goes, is going to be a number one receiver. And I mean, you got Amari Cooper there. So what does that mean? Amari Cooper's contract, there's no more guaranteed money on it in two more years. And in two more years as well, Michael Gallup's rookie contract is up, and he just had 1,100 yards last year. So as good as this trio of receivers is going to be, I don't see it lasting for more than two years. So Dak, enjoy it for two years, but in two years I can almost guarantee you Michael Gallup or Amari Cooper will be gone because CeeDee Lamb's going to be there for the next five to ten years, 100%. No doubt about it. And he's going to be extremely productive. The guy's a beast. Cowboy fans are going to love him. I mean, I'll, these are just things I had written down. It was what the fuck are the Packers doing and what the fuck are the Packers doing round two? I was just confused. I didn't get it. So, I mean, y'all heard me talk to Tegan about it and he tried to walk me through it. He did a good job. He put a nice little Packers spin on it. But, you know, we don't know, like he said, how it's going to work out. So let's just sit back and watch and we'll find out. Next I think the Colts did a great job not having a pick in the first round and somehow, in my opinion, getting the best running back in the draft and putting him behind that offensive line. It's like he'll be playing at Wisconsin again. So I think that was an absolute steal. And them getting Michael Pittman Jr., who you guys heard me, I had as my fifth rated receiver. But I also think he could end up being the best receiver in this class. The guy is just a beast. I like everything about him. He's 6'4", 225, runs a 4'4". He can go up and get the jump ball. He can slide in the slot. He runs good routes. He's just a great player. And I think they, they, the Colts are killing it. They got screwed by Andrew Luck retiring. But, I mean, hey, they're going to bounce back. That front office is really smart, and I really like him. Next, I think Burrow. Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals got him a toy at receiver that he's really going to fall in love with, and that's T. Higgins. And I think T. Higgins is going to a spot where he can learn from a guy that he got comps from. And that's A.J. Green. I think that's just a situation for those two guys. I think that they're going to flourish together. And I think T. Higgins, he's going to learn so much from A.J. Green. I know A.J. probably wants to get the hell out of there, but they got him on the franchise tag for at least one more year. They could franchise tag him again next year. Or, you know, A.J. Green likes Joe Burrow. He could resign there. You never know. 
I just think that's a good situation and I like the duo. And if it's not for sure a hit, it's at least interesting. That's the duo Burrow and Higgins. You know, a lot of people haven't really talked about it, but I really liked what the Lions did as well in the first two rounds. I know it's easy to say that from the outside in when you're picking third in the first round and third in the second round, but they got the best cornerback and some people will say they got the best running back. You know, I'm not that high on DeAndre Swift. I, th- I had him about as my second or third rated running back. You know, some people think he's a first for sure the best back in this class, but I just didn't see it that way. I mean, he's definitely good. I could definitely see him being a team's lead back. He definitely is a three down back. So he's got the potential. He's got the tools. I like him. I'm just not in love with him. I think he is good, but some people will say that the Lions got the best cornerback for sure in the draft, and they may have got the best running back. So in the first two rounds, you know, can't be too upset with that. The next thing I was just through those first two rounds, the the Raiders, the Raiders, it's just all about speed for the Raiders. It was like Al Davis was in, he was in the room making the picks again. The guy's a speed demon lover. And I think Ruggs could fit really well in that offense. You know, Josh Jacobs, they like to run the ball a lot. He had 18.6 carries per game last year. And I really do like Josh Jacobs. He's a physical runner. He rarely goes down with the first contact. He runs through arm tackles. And that forces you to pack the box. When you got a guy like Ruggs, Ruggs on the outside, it's tough to pack the box. So it'll be interesting to see how teams try to stop, you know, the Raiders on offense. I'm not saying they're going to be one of the best offenses in the league, but they're definitely interesting, and I'm excited to watch them. And I also want to give a big shout-out to the Philadelphia Eagles. As a Giants fan and as a team of the NFC East, I think I'm speaking for all teams. We just want to say thank you. We love the fact that you picked Jalen Hurts. It was a great pick. Thank you. And we'll just move on from that. And I want to talk about Jalen Rager as well. Thank you again. You got one of the best receivers in the first round. That was a great pick. (laughs) I think Rager could be really good. I just don't think he was a first round talent, especially not with the way he ran at the combine. I mean, maybe I'm putting too much stock into that. But when I go back and watch him, he's playing against the Big 12. The guy's wide open. Those guys, I don't know. He's good. I saw him as a day two guy. I just think Wentz has shown that he works better with taller receivers and guys that can make contested catches. But, you know, everyone wants to go that Kansas City model and get a speed demon. So maybe the Eagles think they got their Tyreek Hill and Jalen Rager. Who knows? He's definitely electric. You can put him in the kick return game and special teams game. He can return punts. You can throw him a bubble screen and he can take it all the way. Rager is no... By any means, a scrub. I just don't think he was a first-round talent, in my opinion. And I can 100% be wrong. I hope I'm not. But as an NFC's team, thank you to the Eagles. I also really like the Mims, Denzel Mims, and Sam Darnold connection. I think the Jets, they needed a tackle in Mekai Becton or whatever, however you say his name. He's definitely, he's a beast. He's powerful. He's the biggest, most athletic tackle in the draft. There's no denying that. But I just think a guy like Sam Darnold after losing Robbie Anderson could have used and loved C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy. I just think that's someone that you need to put with a young quarterback and let them grow together. But the Jets also thought, hey, let's get a tackle and let's protect our young quarterback. And I can't knock them for that. So I like how in the second round they went after the kid out of Baylor, Denzel Mims. I can I see him as like a little, the same type of player as T. Higgins, but just a notch below. I like Denzel Mims a lot. I think he's a great pick in the second round. 
I think it's he's a good guy to pair with your young quarterback, and I'm excited to see how they grow together and work together. It'll be definitely something to look at and be interested in. Also, I really like what the Broncos are giving Drew Locke to work with. The fact that they got Jerry Judy at 15 is mind-blowing to me. The kid is easily the best receiver in this draft, and he's going to be he may prove it in his rookie year, but in the second, his second and third year, he's going to show that he's one of the best route runners in the NFL, and it's not even going to be close. I like how the Broncos are giving Drew Locke weapons to work with, and if they fail, it's going to be with him failing with weapons at his disposal. So, shout out to Elway. Yeah, I think they had a good draft. That's really all the, the, the big, you know, thoughts that jumped off the screen for me in the first two rounds. I know I didn't touch on everybody's team, and I could go on all day about this, but those were some of my biggest reactions to round two. And, you know, if I had to give a winner, I'm going to be, I'm going to say my G-Men. <laughs> I think we got the best tackle in the class, and we got the best safety in the class. But that's me being biased. Let me know how you guys think your team's doing this draft. Just about gonna wrap things up for us over here at Stir the Pot in episode four. I appreciate all the people that stayed the whole way and listened all the way and got all the way to this point. This is a really cool experience for me. I appreciate every single time I get to upload an episode and see that people are watching and people tune in and hit me up and let me know what they thought of the show. So I appreciate everybody out there that's listening. I miss everybody back home. I'm excited to graduate in a week, or I guess less than a week now. I only got a test left on Monday. It's still kind of hard to think about and process. It's been a long, long journey. But that's going to bring an end to episode four. Once again, I appreciate everybody listening. Episode five should be out in a couple days. I'm going to try to speed up this process a little bit. So until then, peace. Blood, sweat, and tears, I done put a lot in You at the top, I'ma need the top spot then Pass the rock, half court shots popping Bambino at the plate, I'ma have to call my shot then Breaking news, any league that you watching Pop culture, Mr. Green, got him flocking Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then Start a pot, start a pot, start a pot then 